Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sportstone Podcast. Day four is over. This is the day four daily, and the match situation is currently either England 114 for four, or for Australia we're brought out for 279, in which um, Usman Khawaja finished with 77, and Ali Robinson, and sorry, Stuart brought at four for 65. And England responds to the set, 114 for 4, chasing 371, requiring another 257 with um, Ben Duck at 950, controversially, Ben Stokes 929, and um, Pat Cummins 2 for 20, Mitchell Stark 2 for 40. The game is set up for what you think will be an Australia win, um, but I can honestly see it get a bit close. Um, I don't know why. It's a hunch. Um, I think Ben Duckett has also looked supremely controlled. Um, with him, the worry is that one rash shot. With Ben Stokes, um, I think if he gets in in the morning, if he bats for the first hour, then you can see him pile on some runs. So got Johnny Best to come. The tail is long. They would have killed to have Moeen Ali uh, for this run chase. Just having that extra option number eight would have been very helpful. But uh, yeah, let's start from the top. Let's start from... Um, England bowling to Steve Smith and Rosamond Quadro in the morning. They were very, very inconsistent. Um, Anderson got hit for three boundaries in a row. One was over-pitch ball, one was short and wide. One was, um, I think, another over-pitch ball. So it was cover drive, straight drive, and a cut shot. Three boundaries in a row. Ollie Robinson was down leg quite frequently. The body language also... Yeah, the body language is also quite downbeat. And I think that's the effect that Steve Smith and Rosamond Quadro have. On um, players, because it's a cliche, but the ease and time they play the ball with would just be so devastating and so demotivating for the ball to run in. Put that much force through your body, exercise immense mental strength to overcome pressure and stick to a certain plan, and at the other end, the batter is not even faced by it. He just nonchalantly defends it, nonchalantly drives it, flicks it, pulls it, whatever. They have the array of shots, they have the temperament, and they seem demotivating bowlers to bowl at, but England came up with some sort of tactic. <laughs> Surprise. It was a short-pitch bowling tactic that became successful. Um, I think essentially they wore out Steve Smith and Osman Quadra. It was, to be fair, quite surprising because I think if there's two batters in the Australian team, then you're not going to wear out, then you're not going to get impatient, then you're going to sort of... They're just going to keep batting and batting and batting. It's going to be Osman Quadra and Steve Smith. Osman Quadra just because he has such great defence, and Steve Smith just because he loves batting so much. But yes, they had to constantly duck, Quadra copped um, quite a few blows, and as the tactic continued, which England impressively were quite relentless with, which we'll discuss with some stats later on, um, Quadra and Smith started to play it more with the short balls, and ultimately Smith and Quadra both got out trying to take it on, Quadra got a top edge down to um, basically fine leg, or, or square leg, and Steve Smith was, was similar. Um, and it was great accuracy from the likes of Josh Tong and Stuart Broad. They they got the ball uh, relentlessly at the, at, the, at, the, at the place where they need to get it, near the badge height, um, sometimes bumpers. And they were testing Steve Smith and Rosamond Quadra, and I think that was that led to that sort of wicket. But I think, um, I don't think England succeeding with the short ball plan allows it, allows an excuse for their batters. So I, I was seeing a bit of discussion on Twitter that no, oh look, it's not like only one team can't play short ball. It's not because of basketball that even got out. It's just that playing short bowling is short ball bowling is hard. Australia shown that. I while to an extent that's true. I think playing sh- very relentless short ball, um, short pitch bowling is hard. 
I don't think you can defend England in any way because um, the salient difference between England's success and Australia's success with the same plan was Australia showed an inability to actually um, defend and control the short ball successfully. England didn't attempt to do that. We don't know if that was the case as there was no attempt to pull into the ground or defend the ball. The plan was to attack without any rational planning, which led to the dismissals. So I think all fingers of recklessness, um, sort of blind faith in this basketball tactic, lack of accountability, I think it's still valid. Um, I don't think the success of England's bowlers deflects the recklessness of England's, England's performance and with the bat. However, I think in a similar vein, you can sort of criticise Australia's, Australia's defence against short ball bowling. I don't think they played very well. And I think you can praise England's relentless short pitch bowling uh, with the ball. Um, Crickfizz, once again, did some great work. England, um, second session yesterday, bowled an average length of 11.05 metres, which is the shortest average length of any session of Test cricket on record. And guess what? They got the majority of the Australian wickets in that session. That shows great control and relentlessness because it takes a lot out of your body to keep bowling these but they stuck at it all the bowlers came in despite their pace and they stuck at it and it became successful it was it was well done from england then came nathan lyon's turn for bravery some may call it stupid what he did some may call it sort of no need bravado without bravado without sort of i guess the basis but I think at a 350-run lead, um, I think Australia felt they needed a bit more, just because of what England, through baseball, had previously produced through their run chases. That's not to say that 350 isn't a good total, but it was a total that perhaps didn't give close to 100% security to Australia. I don't think 371 is a total, ignore the car in the background, I don't think 371 is a total that gives that either. Um, I don't think Australia got 100% security to 371, but the goal was to get as many as possible, and that's why Lyon came out. It was a dire sight, but I think it was a great moment of sort of collectivism for both the fan bases, and I think one can only applaud the bravery and courage, even if it was highly ris risky. Um, and coming to sort of applauding something, I think you have to sort of applaud, and the hats just have to go off to Australia. In regards to England's innings, Stark and Cummins has produced great deliveries. Stark finished with 2 for 40 after 10 overs, and Cummins 2 for 20 after 8 overs. While the economy rate is not a massive indicator of success in test matches, it really never has been. The the mean or the norm has been, oh yeah, bowlers around at 3 or three under 3 are just doing a normal job. If you're really, really under 3 in the 1s, yeah, then you're doing great amounts of pressure. If you're over 3 by a fair margin, then yeah, you're being a bit too expensive. Um, but in the basketball era, I do feel economy does matter. Because, and that's why I think Cummins has such sort of defensive field sets. He, he blocks off the boundary scoring options because he makes England look for other options. Or at least he stifles their run rate, even if they're not taking wickets. Um... Although I still disagree with the backward point, uh, a deep backward point to Joe Root when he comes out. Um, I think for him, that's just easy runs, easy singles. I think you want to put a bit of pressure on the new batsman. However, to, uh, to an extent, I think the rationale from Cummins is, is pretty sound in regard to the defensive captaincy. Anyways, yeah, focusing on um, the economies of Stark and Cummins. Stark is a pretty attacking bowler. He goes quite searching with the new ball. He goes quite full. At times, he'll go down leg, sort of over, 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 over underestimating the in-swinger to an extent. Um, and sort of just losing control of his line and length. Um, so he does concede runs, but 
his economy was four and over, and um, that's less than the basketball average of around four point six and over. And he got two major wickets. That's successful bowling, in my opinion. For Cummins, he had a great economy for a normal Test match at what um, basically two point um, two point something and over and he also got two wickets that had England right under the pump so these two sort of statistically they've had a good day out as well but I think we want to focus on the dismissals and the, the balls that were just cracking deliveries to actually focus on how um, skillful their display was Zach Crawley's dismissal was a soft dismissal and it could have and probably should have been avoided Pope's dismissal was typical Mitchell Stark this is why you select Mitchell Stark in your team this is why you probably invest in a left arm bowler in your team he found the perfect length for an in-swinging delivery quite full but not half volley length it tailed in extremely late and Ollie Pope lost his balance and was castled the slight criticism that can be offered towards Pope is that he did play completely around his front pad, but regardless, it would have been tough to play that delivery. And it's sort of something, a habit that Oli Pope does get into. His front pad sort of, um, if you look at his front boot, the position is the boot of his front foot. It's always sort of facing towards cover, mid-off. It doesn't actually go down towards the pitch of the ball. Um, so this was probably a ball that you play straight or mid-off, worst case, and his front foot was facing towards cover, and it came in very late, so he lost all balance and was castled. Um, and yeah, Mitchell Stark has swung the ball um, more than three degrees on three occasions in this match, and two of them had picked up the, the wickets of Crawley and Ollie Pope, showing how this ability to sort of produce this corking in-swinger, or this corking swing delivery, which is just really hard to play. And... That's Stark. I think Matt Roller wrote a great piece on it. That's what he is. He's, he might not be one of the best balls in the world, but he produces the best balls, and that's why you have Mitchell Stark. Um, Joe Root got what we would call a snorter. Perhaps his weight wasn't on the back on his back foot as it should have been, but it seemed as if he didn't pick the length. The ball was perfectly directed, sort of at his the handle of his. Um, short of a length at the handle of his bat and Rook could just fend it away with the open face straight to slip Cummins was off in celebration that was a big wicket because he looked solid so did Ben Duckett you felt that was a partnership that could maybe take England into tomorrow and then Australia would have ride on the pump 250 runs 8 wickets in hand Stokes, Brook Bairster to come um, and these two looking so good but Pat Cummins broke the partnership with a, a tremendous delivery and then he produced another typical Pat Cummins ball to Harry Brook, angled in, seams out very late, and cleans it up. I think you can see some, some resonances and similarities to the ball that Root got in 2019, although I think that was even tougher to play. I don't think this was this ball to Brook was um, as good. Um, the criticism towards Brook, and to sort of analyze and dismissal, is that his right shoulder did come through, so he was quite squared up, and perhaps he could have done a better job staying side on, and I think maybe he made the ball look bit better than it was but it was still a tremendously late seeming away ball and it just highlights Australia produced wicket taking deliveries and it has them in a position to win the test match you have to be able to take 20 wickets and Australia took four three of them were cracking deliveries and that just shows the class of their bowlers it's not even ideological thing it's just very good bowling and then yes obviously we come to the controversy of the day Mitchell Starks dropped catch if you want my opinion, I think the right decision was made, um, and there's two ways I'm going to explain it. I think first I'm going to explain it by way of law, which was that there has to be full control of the ball. I don't think Mitchell. I think Mitchell Stark had essentially caught the ball, but 
to sort of not control the fall of your body um, and to I guess unintentionally or sort of subconsciously just make the ball touch the ground I think shows sort of that you didn't have full control and being aware of your surroundings essentially what you were doing with the ball and I think that was sort of the primary factor in the adjudication of Murray Erasmus but I think the other factor was precedent um, I think there's been precedent set with the, with the Kyle Jameson catch of Tommy McBall if you guys remember the quarter ball catch uh, sharp back at him um, I think um, Ben Gardner um, from the Wizard pointed this out on his, on his Twitter um, in which Jameson while he had essentially caught it he did not have control of the surroundings in which the ball was in um, and I think that's the interpretation of that law And but there's also a general precedent so whenever there's sort of a a, a controversy or I guess some sort of muddling over where the ball has um, touched the ground or not the third umpires are always looking for if the fingers are underneath the ball and so even if I might be slightly touching the ground very hard to tell with the camera angles if the fingers underneath they look to adjudicate that as full control Mitchell Stark did not have any fingers underneath the ball his fingers were on top and the ball was directly touching the ground that's a general precedent which has always been used and I think Maria Erasmus also applied that and I think he applied it correctly if you're going to use common sense yeah Mitchell Stark had essentially caught the ball he just didn't know what he was doing but cricket is a game of rules and laws and I think that's the best way to sort of make sure it doesn't turn to anarchy and there's not actually even more confusion and sort of inconsistency in the decisions so I think the right decision was made um, there was controversy around it but uh, I do believe that balls on the ground therefore it's a dropped catch coming now back to the match situation England need 257 six weeks at hand how they should approach it I think they should just play the way England do um, obviously I think if that hopefully that moderation of the short ball bowling comes in uh, I don't think they should play that as blind, uh, blindly as they should do but I don't think they should be subdued I don't think they should necessarily have to defend for periods of day. Ben Stokes might, because this is the way he does. He likes to fight his way out of situations. Um, but yeah, I just think they should play naturally. Um, and I think they should set targets. So I think um, I think if Ben Duckett and Ben Stokes can bring it down to 150 together, so put on another 100, it's a tough ask. But if they can put on another 100, and then Johnny Bairstow and whoever he's batting, can, batting with can get it down to 70, 60, then even with the long tail you might back them to get 70-60 and at that stage in Australia come under pressure when there's 70-60 runs and still four wickets to take and sort of just some smart batsmanship, smart gamesmanship can get England over the line, Australia sort of the one searching at that stage so I think England they just have to aim to take it deep and take it close playing the natural game I think maybe a bit of restraint may help but that isn't basketball but um I still think it's going to be fascinating. I think some people are sort of calling it this game over. Um, I think, as always, the first hour will dictate it. World Test Championship final was the same thing. I, I think if Rahane and Virat Kohli got through the first hour, or in the first one and a half hours, then India may have had a shot. But Virat went fishing early on. And I think with England, it's the same thing. If they lose early wicket, then you can totally see Australia just having the momentum, feeling they sort of are right there and sort of landing the killer blow and taking the game but if England shows some resistance then Cummins has to think he has to look at different strategies and then if England continue to get some momentum after that with a few maneuvers then Australia aren't really under pressure and this game could get very fascinating it's been a fascinating test match I think there's been so much so much to discuss and um, I think there's going to still be a decent amount to discuss tomorrow as well um, hope you enjoy this recap of day 4 I'll be back again tomorrow with the day 5 daily until then goodbye